Hello and welcome to the Don't Get Mad podcast, where we fearlessly attempt to discuss important, difficult topics without losing our minds, our tempers, or our dignity. Well, occasionally we'll lose our dignity, but on this show we're not neutral. We do commit to being reasonable, civil, and genuinely interested in refining our own ideas as well as influencing others. We don't stoke outrage. We don't call people names. We don't question motives, or we try not to. That one's hard, but we're working on it. And we make a sincere attempt to understand people who see things differently than we do. Sincere. We don't succeed all the time, but we're sincere about it. (laughs) Okay, this is going to be our first episode focused on something other than uh, what's been going on in Ukraine, although in the very last segment we may... We may touch on a couple of those in the uh, fast question round. So today, the primary goal is to talk about three completely different topics that have absolutely nothing to do with Ukraine. And they're going to all be easy. They'll all be softballs. They'll be so simple. Everybody will agree. So let's start out. Segment one, we're going to cover the Parental Rights and Education Act, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, which was passed by the Florida State Legislature and recently signed by Governor Ron DeSantis. Second, segment two, we're going to take a look at calls for Clarence Thomas to recuse himself from any cases related to January 6th due to the political activities of his wife, specifically texts that she sent to President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, on or about, what date was that again? January 6th, 2020. And third segment, is, of course, the, well, you know what? We're going to reorder these segments. (laughs) This is going to be the slap heard around the world. The one When Will Smith responded to a joke from Chris Rock by walking out on the stage and slapping him. And since, Andy, I am taking executive privilege on this, let's start segment one with... Ow! Slap heard around the world. (laughs) You've probably just slapped the... We don't usually curse here. Um... Yeah, we're not going to curse, I think, right? We can... The, the, Ooh, uh, our... shuckins and darn. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so we'll have to leave some things out about this. But thank you for reordering them. Um, I am... I have a lot to say about this. The uh, the slap scene heard around the world. Uh, this might seem to pale in importance next to some of the other things going on in the world. There's legislatures making laws about education accusations of corruption in the federal government, and of course, there's Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine, which will likely shape European and world history for for decades. Or decades, depending on your perspective. Somebody had a little too much caffeine. History books will spend much more time on these things than anything else we talk about today, and rightly so. However, I still argue that Will Smith slapping Chris Rock and the country's reaction to it is legitimately important. Uh, As a democracy, the direction of our country is dependent on the character of our people and the values that predominate in our population. And those values are decided on and reflected in how we talk about and respond to cultural events. Those values are also reflected in and shaped by the products, the movies, the songs, the news articles, etc., that come out of the entertainment industry. So when the biggest names in the entertainment industry get together very publicly to celebrate and promote themselves, what happens there matters. The first thing to note about this Oscar telecast is that the audience was the second smallest that it's ever been. It was up a bit from last year, which is the smallest it's ever been, but it was still 
uh, about half of what it was only five years ago. I think 16 million people or so watched the Oscars. And that already is a bit of a story because it suggests that American culture and by implication, American values are increasingly fractured. Uh, and then there's the event itself. So Chris you Rock- wanna makes, so, You want to hear something funny real quick? Uh, um, yes. This will be yes, real quick. We barely tuned in in time to see the slap. We weren't watching any of it. You got, you, uh, wow. You lucked yes. out to see we, history. We avoided the Mecca to uh, excess that is the Oscars. Go back to your- uh, Okay. I, uh, I admit I didn't watch any of it. So the declining viewership, me and you uh, are part of it. We have sort of, to varying degrees, I don't know about you, I've sort of checked out of pop culture in general. Um, but, you know, when I heard about this, then all of a sudden I wanted to see what had happened. And so I, I tuned in. And Will Smith is generally, and Chris Rock, I'm kind of a fan of both of those guys. Um, anyway, Chris Rock makes a joke about Jada Smith's bald head, and Will Smith gets up out of his seat and smacks him. Um and in the ensuing couple of days, there's been opinions about that from everyone all over the internet. And my own opinion is in a blog at don'tgetmadpodcast.wordpress.com. So you can go directly there or find a link on our Facebook page. That's don'tgetmadpodcast.wordpress.com. Thank you. Thank you. It sounds much better when you say it in your radio voice. We'll be back. Oh, no, keep going. Most people seem to agree that words can't justify violence, and I agree with that as well. It was a wrong thing to do. Uh, the better response from Will Smith would have been something else. And in fact, after a few days of thought, I finally came up with what I think would have been my ideal response, which is trying to empathize with what Will Smith is feeling at the time. This is a sensitive issue in his marriage. He's sitting next to his wife. There have been some public issues in his marriage. So, I mean, clearly... Um, it's not a hasn't been a perfect marriage. Well, what marriage is? So you would, I think, reasonably speculate that Will Smith and his wife have uh, spent some time talking about this as Jada, his wife, has lost her hair. And then Chris Rock points at her in front of the world and tells the world that she looks ridiculous. Um, so after a lot of thought, I thought, you know what? I think what he probably should have done or what the best response is, you turn to your wife and say, honey, I, I just want you to, to know that you look beautiful. And then say, you know, do you want to go? Do you want to get up and walk out? Just try to see what she's feeling and sort of defer to what she wants to do. Because I think that walking out is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. However, I only came up with that after three days of... Um, ruminating about it. Will Smith had about five seconds. And so there's this insult about his wife. And uh, he starts to laugh. She is clearly not laughing. She's clearly upset. And I think his impulse is well, like, at first, think? at first. And that's the problem with this whole thing. She was upset at first. And then when she watched him go up and slap Chris Rock, she starts laughing. So what do you think that means? That she's not... I'm not convinced that all of these responses are showing what they really th feel. I think in some sense, in some ways, they're trying to feel or trying to portray a certain thing. In particular, I think Will Smith's initial smile is... I mean, I don't know about you, but the first thing I do when I'm in a group of people in a very public situation is I paste a big smile on my face. 
And mm -hmm. as the situation gets awkward, that's his initial expression. Well, um, see, you got to live more in my world because I'm always awkward. Which, well, I think what I usually do is I avoid going out in public in the first place. Yeah, well, that's me too. <laughs> That's why we do a podcast. Right. Nobody has to ever see us. This is great. Um, anyway, my thought is, <laughs> and I read uh, a number of takes about this. I read one take from a pastor that said what Will Smith did was totally inexcusable and yet totally understandable. I think there's a lot of merit to that sort of take on it. And then I read uh, something else from a guy named James Garrity, I think, uh, writes for National Review, and his quote uh, is that, I, I think I agree with this, if you mock a man's wife's appearance in his presence, you're effectively signing a waiver for whatever comes next. Hmm. I agree with that. He says, some men will laugh hmm. it off, some men will get in your face and scream at you, and some men will flip out and seek to beat the snot out of you. Now, this is a statement about what reality is, not what it should be. Those men who try to beat you up are still wrong when they do. Uh, many of them might acknowledge that and apologize later on as Will Smith did. However, if I went around insulting the appearance of women, I would expect to get slapped once in a while by the husbands or by the women themselves. Or if, depending on the context, you might even get sued. Um, or you might become a presidential contender. Um, <clears throat> the... I I think getting sued is a bad way to go, by the way. These things should best, particularly at the level of a slap. If somebody's, if we're talking about getting stabbed or getting, you know, really seriously injured, then lawsuits seem appropriate. But Well, let me take you back. Let me take you back to, to Sunday evening, to that spectacular moment we know as the stink bomb that is the Oscars. Number one, did anybody see any of these movies? Please, did anybody actually pay for Apple Plus because they said, you know what? I got to watch The Power of the Dog. I hear it's going to be an Oscar contender. And is anybody going to remember it next year? You remember the Oscar winner in 1980? No, because you know what? Raiders of the Lost Ark is the one that everybody goes and watches and remembers. I can't tell you what won in 1980, but I can tell you that Raiders of the Lost Ark probably should have been it. A spectacle, a winner. This happens over and over. Have you ever gone back and watched Gandhi? No. Have you ever gone back and watched Chariots for Chariots, as I affectionately call it, Chariots for Hire? Uh, this it's ironic that you would say that because I happen to be a, a regular guest on a friend of mine's podcast about eighties movies, and I picked Chariots of Fire because <laughs> because I guess I'm one of these because. I'm more willing to do this for old movies. One of when I'm looking for a movie to watch, I seriously do go to the wiki article on the entry of best picture winners and I go through the list. Now, I'll tell you I skipped right over Gandhi because that didn't seem like a lot of fun. But Chariot I actually fire. saw it. I saw it in a theater. It was 3 hours of my life that I will never get back. <laughs> and that's got nothing against Gandhi. I understand he was a, you know, he was a groundbreaker and all that but as a movie it was three hours i will never get back I, but that's i, I but, think but let me go i'm gonna go back to my whole point on all this and i'm gonna qualify i'm gonna give a qualified agreement with you i think you're absolutely right about current movies i think back in the 70s and 80s and maybe even a little bit farther 
<clears throat> I was much more on board with what the Academy thought, but, but now I agree completely. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that, I think in the last mm, 20, 30, 40 years since the late eighties, mid to late eighties, it's been like all the, all of these, look at us. We're so artistic. Aren't we wonderful? We can act the heck out of playing an angry old guy who runs around with a shotgun in the desert kind of thing. And it, it's just like every now and then there's one that sticks like, um, unforgiven okay. uh, or something like that. But for the most part, they're just self-congratulatory. So let's get back to the Oscar to that moment on Sunday night. Here comes Chris Rock and he drops what wasn't even, I mean, it was, was it funny? Yeah. I kind of laughed, but it was a cringe funny. I was kind of like going, Oh, <laughs> Oh, funny. GI Jane was such a uh, groundbreaker to begin with, with Demi Moore. And here goes the joke about Jada Pinkett Smith. Now I knew because like you, I'm completely detached, not completely. I'm very detached from pop culture. Okay. I didn't know what Jada Pinkett Smith had alopecia. Does Chris Rock know Jada Pinkett Smith has alopecia? How many people in the country, if you walked up to them and did Jay Leno's sidewalk interview that he used to do on his show decades ago, if you walked up to them and said, hey, do you know what disease Jada Pinkett Smith has? How many of them do you think would say, oh, I know that. I watched Red Table. It's alopecia. You're you're right about the specific disease. However, when I see a woman with no hair, I immediately think there's a good possibility she's, uh, my first thought is cancer or, or something else. So I would have. Ah, except, except she was just on the previous week. I think it was the previous week on an episode of TV called The Equalizer in which she played a heist, uh, like uh, some cat burglar, and she was shaved bald. So you're now, thinking, so you could assume it was for a role. Exactly. So I now I'm flashing back into the Oscars again. So there's Chris Rock. He drops this stink bomb of a joke that, you know, got some laughs, but it was like, ah, it's a little joke. Will Smith at first laughs. Then he turns to his wife who gives him the stink eye. And then Will Smith has to become BMOC, but not BMOC at the local bar, not BMOC at the local playground, not BMOC at a cocktail party. He has to be big man on campus for his wife in front of a dwindling viewership, but still tens of millions worldwide. And he walks up and he lays hands on a host in public with a slap that was a little bit more than just a love tap. It was it was a pretty solid slap. It was, he wound up a little bit and kind of oh he leaned wheeled into back. it. Yeah. He he left he left it right there. In fact, I heard today that Chris Rock, Rock was going to a, a, a tattoo removal parlor to get that slap off his face. <laughs> that's that's so okay. Number one, as Christians, inexcusable. Period. Flat out. No no question about it. You know, if I'm projecting my own particular morality onto that situation, which of course is irrelevant because Hollywood, it was wrong. It was wrong. You, you, you as an adult, as a mature adult, 
you don't know who's watching that show. You don't. And, and, <laughs> and just come out today is the clip of him in 1992 doing a PSA saying, don't lay hands on people back in the Fresh Prince days where he's, he's basically saying, you got to control yourself. And I think that, I think that my, my problem with this whole thing is it said as much about our permissiveness as it does about our inability to control our tempers in moments when we really should be stopping and thinking twice. And, uh, you know, we look around us and we ask ourselves, uh, you know, road rage, everything, everything's anger, 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 anger. And, and like this podcast, you know, we did this podcast. We call it Don't Get Mad. Don't be mad. What is the name of our podcast? Don't right get, now, it's the Don't Get Mad podcast. Don't Get Mad podcast. Thank you for correcting me because I never get it right. We do this podcast specifically because we're trying to say to people, there's a better way. There's a way to have conversation. There's a way to work things through, even when you disagree on fundamental questions. Hear each other. And, and th this was one of those moments where I was like, come on, man, you can do better than this. I would say um, I, I disagree with you. No, I disagree with you in a um, mostly in a matter of degree um, that it's not inexcusable. Um, it's wrong. I just when I try to empathize with the two roles with Chris Rock and Will Smith and what they did in this uh, episode, I find it easier. I would ha I would be more at peace with myself if I had done what Will Smith did than done what Chris Rock did. And I, I'll have to go into what I mean about Chris Rock. But what Will Smith did was he got upset because someone insulted his wife and he lost his temper and he slapped somebody and that's wrong, but I can't really guarantee I wouldn't do the same thing. Um, depending on what, what had been going on through my head and between me and my wife recently, whereas, and this is where I'm going to object to. And I think this is one of the reasons you and I have both checked out of pop culture, the idea that I mean, these insults, they come nonstop at these events, the Oscars and every other Hollywood event, insult after insult after insult. I did some looking around on the internet and um, there's apparently, I had posted a link to one of these episodes on my, uh, on our Facebook page. Uh, I forget what it's called. Great Glad school. you said our Facebook page. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Uh, I am primarily <laughs> managing the Facebook page, but you are officially an administrator. So anytime you want to join in, feel free. Uh, you have so Thank anyway. Uh, it's called Playground Insults, I think, and it's a show put on by the BBC where Hollywood's biggest stars sit in front of each other for six minutes and they just insult each other, and everybody laughs. And of course, these are not professional comedians; they're just actors. I think there's one where Chris Pratt is there with Jennifer Lawrence and they're sitting there just calling each other ugly and stupid and everybody's laughing. In other words, it seems extremely disingenuous to me for um, the entertainment industry to build a culture that has such a large component of belittling and mocking people. So the, the industry builds this culture of belittling and mocking people. And then everybody's shocked and outraged when somebody loses their temper. Um, um, 
But here's the thing. Think about this. Think about this. Have you ever seen an episode of The Red Table? No. Okay. I've seen exactly five minutes. Five minutes of The Red Table because, and I don't even remember where I saw it because we don't have that subscription. Whatever service it's on, we don't have it. It was the most self-consciously revealing, dirty, whatever thing where it's like it's like every reality show where these folks come out and you're supposed to be feeling like you're getting this inside glimpse into their life. And I look at I look at these two, I look at Will and Jadis Pinkett Smith and their marital issues, by the way, they are all out there on the red table. I think if I'm not mistaken, she confessed to him on the red table and you know that she was infidelity stuff and yeah the infidelity and he was working it through with her there so this is not like this is not like a couple that zealously guards its privacy and for chris rock to come out there and make a wise crack he can be doing anything worse than they are doing to themselves they're doing it to themselves. They're putting themselves out there in a way that's pretty much saying, hey, look at the big target on my back. And, and, and I'm not suggesting, and, and that, that's a very dangerous place to go because you can extrapolate that into all other areas of life where it is always inappropriate to deliberately go around insulting someone. But the reality is when you ask a comic to come up in front of the Oscars, you're going to get what you're going to get. When you ask Ricky Gervais to host the uh, Golden Globes, you're going to get what you're going to get. And I think that I, I think that this notion that I, I, I would differ with you in the sense that I would say, I, and you know, I love my wife. My wife tolerates more out of me than, I mean, I, I just, she, I worship the, the ground she walks on because nobody puts up with me the way she puts up with me. And yet, even so, I have a bigger obligation if somebody were to insult my wife, insult, I would turn to her and I would say, it's time to go, honey. If somebody attacks my wife, that is a far different situation because as the old saying goes on the playground, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words ain't going to cut through and give me six stitches. So it's funny that you would use that phrase. I don't know if you've gotten the memo, but... The uh, school teachers and our own church youth group leaders are openly teaching kids that that axiom that I grew up with and that I still think has a lot of merit, they're all openly teaching kids that that, uh, that, that phrase is stupid, literally. And, and our church group leaders, you know, bend over backwards to try to avoid using the word stupid. But my kids got a, uh, a page a handout that had that quote about sticks and stones. And then and you it, know what? afterward it said, said some idiot. I can get, I get that because, because words do hurt. I guess my point in right. saying that is it's about, it's about what are you going to do in that wor- moment where words are going right. to hurt. And, and Will Smith just lacked the self-control in that moment to, to pause and say, Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what? And, and not only that, uh, I, I think, maybe the most prescient thing that was said after this. No, number one, number one, I listened to WIP radio on Monday morning and the first 45 minutes were all sports radio. 
the first 45 minutes were all about the slap heard around the world. But here's what I would say. Um, Craig Melvin said it best on uh, Monday morning on the Today Show. I was catching uh, some of the beginning of the Today Show where they were covering this. And he said something that I can't do justice to because I am not a person of color. I do not have the right to put words in his mouth. But it was something to the effect of, you know, we have to have the talk with our kids, people of color, uh, because there's this this biased uh, perception in society that black men can't control their anger. And what Will Smith just did was went up there and he just proved the racists right. And I don't see color in that moment. What I see is a guy who is entitled and Ill, and privileged to have the right to a sit in that Dolby theater in a prime seat, by the way, first row, and B, the responsibility to rein it in and behave like an adult. And he didn't do it. I don't see I also I don't see um, entitlement or privilege. I mean, I see a guy who, ironically, in opposition or in contrast with a lot of the other people in that room, I see a guy who seems to, and I, I believe his sincerity in this, who seems to value his marriage and in all of its obvious imperfections. Mm -hmm. Will Smith has made a lot of statements and done a lot of things that's, that give you the impression that he values his marriage and... At that moment, I mean, he's probably feeling all kinds of pressure that, you know, he set himself up as this guy who values his marriage. He's made his marriage a very public thing. And so now there's this, there's this pressure to do something that demonstrates how seriously he takes his marriage. And he makes the wrong choice. So when I say, you know, I can see myself being him or I can see myself living with that mistake and apologizing for it, I can see that more easily than I can see being Chris Rock, who is making a living off of insulting people. Um, that's too harsh on Chris Rock. I'm actually a big Chris Rock fan, but I can't, I know that he's, that's his job. And that's a culture I don't get though. I guess, what, I guess that's the point. I, I can't see myself making that statement about a woman ever. Oh, <laughs> like, and neither could I. Neither uh, could I. So you were on the same page on that. And if Absolutely. I if I ever were to make such a statement and I got slapped, I would I would feel no ability to complain. And and, and again, uh, no. I, well, words never justify violence. It, I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying that there is no penalty. There has to be a penalty. But I think if I had said that, then I would make the choice that it looks like Chris Rock is making, which is I ain't going to press charges. Like, exactly. I, I, I'm in this business where I do something that sometimes makes people angry. The guy got upset. I guess one other thing I finally hit on, and I, I talked about how there's these videos, these shows, this culture of insults. I had my, my kids recently have used the phrase like such and such was a sick burn. Like I, I mean, I think this sort of idea of, you know, mastering the insult or praising the insult, uh, that it, it infects our culture. And there's a big contradiction between this culture that celebrates the perfect insult versus 
aren't we supposed to all be committed to anti-bullying? Then why are we all sitting okay. around and insulting each other and and acting like that's a really impressive, fun thing to do? Oh, you know, we, we're, we're getting close to the end of the segment, but I got I to gotta share a quick story. Uh, Leah and I were sitting down, uh, you know, flipping through one night looking for, what are we going to watch? What are you going to watch? And I used to be, because I only ever saw him on TV. I never saw behind the scenes. I never went to Vegas. I only ever saw this guy on TV, Mr. Warmth, Don Rickles. And so I, I, you know, Leah was kind of tolerating it and she's like, yeah, all right. If you really insist. And so I put it on and I'm watching it and I'm watching his Vegas act and it's on Amazon prime and it's unfiltered. And I'm sitting there going, I thought this was funny. And it really wasn't. And here you've got every comic coming out of the woodwork, lauding this guy as the greatest thing on on earth. And he's so incredibly kind and wonderful. And then he goes out there and it's just, it's just, even in, I guess he was in his nineties when they were filming this thing. It's just one after another, but it just sounded by that age, by that time of his life, it sounded cruel. Yeah. Now, when I remember seeing him as a kid growing up watching, you know, late night, whatever, when I was in my 20s and he would pop onto Carson or whatever, it was always pretty contained. But to your point, we have become the insult culture. We have become the sick burn culture. And I think the the best thing we can do is there are ways to have humor. You don't have to go there in the wrong setting, at the wrong time, with the wrong person. There are ways of doing this. You know, that not everybody has to be Dave Chappelle. Not everybody has to be blue. And frankly, I think if more people were less that way, we might have a better world, but hey. Yeah, I, I agree completely. The, the insult culture, and it's odd that no one has put together, because also there's, you know, you see this anti-bullying uh, campaign everywhere, right? And I don't know why our our culture has been able to embrace both of those things simultaneously because they are, as far as I can tell, they are absolutely diametrically opposed. opposed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Hey, I'll tell you what, we have come to the end of the first segment, and uh, we actually, uh, for the first time in several weeks, I think we actually kind of disagreed on a topic, which is good. What happened? Well, what the, happened to our friendship? That's it. Uh, we'll have to do two separate podcasts from now on. Um, it was the war that brought us together. And uh, wars do that sometimes. Uh, yeah, well, that's, no, it's over that's now. true. All right, I'll tell you what, folks. We're going to be back in uh, just a couple of moments. So stick with us. Segment two coming right up. Hi, this is Andy. I'm recording this announcement about a week after we recorded most of this episode to let you know that our segment about Florida's Parental Rights in Education Act, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, has been cut. 
Steve and I recorded this segment. It was about a half hour long, but ultimately we decided not to release it. This is disappointing because we created the Don't Get Mad podcast specifically to talk about highly polarizing issues just like this one. However, we wanted to talk about those issues in a way that would be as sensitive as possible to all concerned, while still allowing for a meaningful and productive exchange of ideas. We wanted a conversation that liberal activists, conservative Christians, and everyone in between could listen to and get something useful out of, and, well, also not get mad about what they were hearing. As it turns out, that's pretty difficult, and I feel kind of foolish for not previously appreciating just how difficult it is. Yet we remain committed to the idea that there must be a productive conversation from different perspectives about sensitive issues. This is for several reasons. For one thing, we're going to be voting on these issues, so discussion helps us to make better choices with our votes. For another, exchanging ideas can help us to find flaws in and to refine our own thinking. Perhaps most importantly, if we don't hear from other perspectives, it becomes too easy to caricature other people as ignorant, stupid, or evil, and so to find our own hearts poisoned with anger or even hatred. So, we will try again soon to discuss this issue or one very similar to it. In the meantime, here is our next segment. Hello, and we're back. We're in our third segment now. Uh, let's turn to another issue, the... Uh, Recent revelations by the January 6th uh, commission, uh, they, is it a commission? I don't know, Senate subcommittee, uh, House subcommittee? House, House subcommittee. House subcommittee. House subcommittee. Uh, they have discovered text messages sent uh, between Ginny Thomas and Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Now, Ginny Thomas is uh, just a private citizen. However, she happens to be the wife of uh, conservative Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. I'm a big fan of Clarence Thomas. Uh, it, judging from her text messages, judge, I think Clarence Thomas is, is awesome, is one of the individuals who's done the most to help American society of anybody with the possible exceptions of um, Scalia and uh, a few other guys. Anyway, that's uh, <laughs> a list of conservative heroes. Maybe I'll edit all of that out. Anyway. Uh, Ginny Thomas, based on her text messages, it sounds like I'm a bit less of a fan of Ginny Thomas. Uh, what happened with these messages and what should we do about it, Steve? Well, let's take a step back to that uh, fateful day, January 6th, 2020. Um, it's no secret that Ginny Thomas has been a political operative for years. Uh, and, and anybody who thinks, let's be very candid here. You know, John Roberts has a real problem on his hands. He has a Supreme Court that to a large number of Americans, in fact, I would dare say, given the $7 million or $7 million vote, the 7 million plus vote lead that Biden took out of the popular vote, if nothing else, that is a wake-up call that should tell you that the six to three majority on the court would not exist if the popular vote were the winning vote there would be more liberal justices on the court. Now, I'm not a big fan of conservative or liberal justices. I'm a fan of justices who rule fairly and who inject as little of their political ideology as they can into their final rulings. I will tell you, I am not a big fan of Clarence Thomas. Uh, I've read some of his rulings over the years, and I constantly hear 
his political ideology override his reading of the law. Uh, I can't stand here right now and cite you chapter and verse, but there have been times over the years, over the last 25 years, where I've read these rulings and I go, okay, I get it. You're going to write something into this dissent that some law student can use someday, uh, you know, some clerk can use to make a case, but it really was kind of a reach. And you did exactly what you accuse the left of doing, which is to create law out of whole cloth. Let's go to Joni Thomas. So not a big fan of Clarence Thomas, but that's neither here nor there. He was appointed by a Republican to be a conservative, and he has been a whatever he is. I, I, I don't like the way that, that you're you're phrasing. I mean, there are two legitimately legitimate competing, and maybe I used the wrong term when I called him a conservative justice. Um, he has a, there are two legitimately competing judiciary philosophies, and he has what I think is more correct than the one typically embraced by the people that liberals put on the Supreme Court. Uh, well, he's supposedly, allegedly an originalist. Yes. And I would suggest to you that if you read his rulings carefully and you go back to the actual text of the law, there are a number of times when he is creating new law. Okay. And, and I, I think exactly, I just, okay. I, well, we'll have to, you know what, we should do a cast on some of his writings over the years, because I think you would be surprised if we sat down and actually looked at some of them, you would find this to be true. Now, I'm not necessarily saying I don't have a problem with conservatives being conservatives. That's the, that's the cost of elections. If you elect a Republican who says he's going to put a certain type of justice on the court, that's what you're going to get, or she. You elect a liberal who's going to put a certain type of justice on the court, that's what you're going to get. And so it should be no shock to us when their rulings fall in those lines. What I really rankle with what I get what I get upset over is this notion that there's like this hypocrisy out there where when a Republican writes it, it's because they're an originalist. But when a Democrat writes it, it's because they're a left wing liberal imposing their political ideology. OK, they're both doing it. it they it, are. It, uh, then let's say that neither one is doing it. That's a liberal. Uh, uh, sorry, a justice appointed by a Democrat yeah, who, who is. It's what you're going to get. Who is I treating like the, the Constitution? Who is treating the Constitution as a living document? I think that's what they like to say, right? So the well, it's it's a little more complex than that, but okay. But anyway, back to Jenny Thomas, which okay. is where we started this. So Jenny Thomas. Let me read a couple of these for you. Okay. She's texting Mark Meadows. Watermarked ballots in over 12 states have been part of a huge Trump and military white hat sting operation in 12 key battleground states. Any truth to that? Of course not. Okay. There's absolutely no truth to that. There's this okay. is this is a QAnon conspiracy that has been debunked. Okay. So many times. Here's another one. This is a great one. Quote, the Biden crime family and ballot fraud co-conspirators, elected officials, bureaucrats, social media censorship mongers, fake stream media reporters, etc., are being arrested and detained for ballot fraud right now and over coming days and will be living in barges off Gitmo to face military tribunals for sedition. Okay, that's the one 
that I read that yeah, that sounds the most um wacky troubling. Yeah. Nutty. I w- so in I mean it's not even particularly logically consistent. You would think that if such a thing were happening that uh Mark Meadows as the White House White House chief of staff would would know more about it than Ginny Thomas that uh just a little. Here's another great one. <laughs> Here's another great one. The hits they keep on coming. The majority knows Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history. Now, it's one thing to want your elections to be as secure as possible. It's one thing to lose and to feel like, boy, I hated losing. But, you know, I'm not going to claim it was fraud and I'm not going to say there were millions of undocumented illegals in California being bused to the polls, which, oh, by the way, does it really matter? It was California going to vote for Biden anyway. And you don't have any proof of it because not even Fox News, OAN or Newsmax has video of school bus loads of undocumented illegal immigrants going to the polls. It's just not there. And so this is another one of these things where it's like, make the text, throw the crazy and don't prove it. And that I think is my biggest thing right now. Anytime I see something like that is I go hashtag prove it. I'm going to give you one more and then we'll get, uh, we'll go, uh, where is it here? Uh, well, we'll go with that. Here's back to your, uh, original setup and, and, and back to the core question I think is at hand. Should Thomas recuse himself because his wife is a, <clears throat> we promise not to call names. Yeah. Because his wife is a, a very a, partisan Trump supporter who believes the a, election was stolen. She is living in a land of um, fantastical thinking. Um, except, <coughs> excuse me, She's, except uh, I want to interject a quote I found on Vox, which I thought was very, I was waiting for somebody to, to point this out. Uh he says, this is an article written by Andrew Prokop uh, on March 25th. It's generally very, very critical of Ginny Thomas and Trump. It says, quote, by all accounts of Trump's private behavior, he acts all the time as though he believes that he was the rightful winner of the 2020 election. No close, no close aide has told the press or revealed any story of Trump acknowledging that lots of his claims were false. This is a potential problem regarding investigative efforts to prove Trump's intent to commit crimes related to January 6th. If he believes he is the rightful winner, it can be trickier, though not necessarily impossible, to demonstrate he acted with corrupt intent. I've been waiting for somebody to point that out. If all of these people actually believe what they're doing is not stealing the election, not overturning the election, but keeping the election from being stolen, then none of this, I don't know about none of it, but certainly much less of it, and potentially none of it, is a crime. Well, it is a crime if, in fact, you can't prove it and you have gone to court with zero evidence and all you're doing is propaga- uh, propping up a lie that but it's not is a lie. intended to overthrow an, a duly elected government. It's a, it, it is a crime if it's a lie. It is not a crime if you believe the election has been stolen and you're trying to fix that. Okay, then there's something even more dangerous about that statement. Which is yeah. this. You have an enormous portion of the population then that is completely delusional in their thinking, not 
that it's legitimate thinking, but that they're believing a lie. And you've got to ask yourself if they believe that lie, what else are they ready to believe? I, I, I think I agree with you that the, I don't think the evidence suggests that um, the election was stolen, but uh, I don't think there's evidence that the election was stolen, but the attempt by Ginny Thomas and other people allied with her to change the election result failed pretty solidly. It didn't really come that close to working. Oh, I would say that it came a lot closer. If there were not a few, see, if, if Trump had put more loyalists, by the way, this is not what the core of our topic was. Sorry. But if, if no, that's all right. I'll that's let all you right. go. If, <laughs> if, if Trump had, if Trump had had a few more of those handpicked loyalists, the, 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 the we're going to win no matter what, instead of the few institutional Republicans who remained around him, if he had had one other person, and that would have been somebody other than William Barr in okay. that in that role, who would have sown chaos by saying, we have reason to believe there is fraud and we're going to investigate it until we're done where Barr came out and immediately said, and by the way, I have my own opinions about Barr, but the one thing he did that was honorable was to come out and say, this is BS. There is no evidence of election fraud. But if he, if Trump had had an attorney general who would not have come out and said that and would have instead endorsed some of the crazy, this might have turned out completely different. If, if uh, Milley, had not been chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and it had been one of Trump's other loyalists who was a rank lower, what could have happened with the military? We only came, we only escaped by a whisker because there were three or four key people in key positions of leadership who stopped the madness and said, it's over. If they had not been in those positions... I think this would have been a very different outcome, but that's not Jenny Thomas. I, I think you you said that Barr acted honorably. I see no reason to think if you acknowledge that clearly in this case he acted, acted honorably. I think he was acting honorably throughout his tenure there. Now you no, think you think he no. was being he was an arch shill. He was an arch shill. He came out and he wrote a a summary of the Mueller report. That if you've ever read the Mueller report, and I've read every one of the pages, Barr's summary of the Mueller report was disingenuous at best and deliberately duplicitous at worst. If it he, was a, it, so it why was, did it, he stop sh- being a shill? Because I think he finally realized that he couldn't contain Trump. I think he thought, I think he thought that if he gave Trump a bone, if he threw him some bones early on, that he would have the collateral and clout he needed to do the agenda, which he did believe in, and, uh, and dodge the crazy, which he didn't believe in. Okay. And this one time, I think he got to the point where he looked around and he said, if I don't do something here, this, this country is in civil war. And I think we were much closer to that than people realize. Okay. Because you still have over 70% of the Republican electorate still thinks that Trump won, even though the overwhelming evidence is clearly that he didn't. Okay, so, so I'll finally let you get back to uh, yeah. Let's Jenny get back Thomas. to Thomas. Clarence Thomas recusing himself. Um, I've read enough legal scholars over the last week. There is generally widespread opinion that there 
up to this point has been no evidence that Ginny Thomas, um, that Clarence Thomas has done anything other than just been who he is, which is a political appointee doing what was expected of him, that he is ruling in a way that he was expected to rule. This last one shows that he is tainted. To be the lone dissenting justice in the effort to uh, block the release of the Trump records to the January 6th House subcommittee and for no legitimate judicial reason, because it was clear legally to everyone that this was a no-brainer, that the House Select Committee had every reason to ask for it and every right to ask for this material, and that there was absolutely zero executive privilege attached to any of it because it was under Biden's choice to release by executive privilege. And this was all legally established precedent that no Supreme Court was ever going to overturn. And and Clarence Thomas dissented in that. And knowing now what came out of his wife's texts and how it makes her look and how it makes him look by extension, it really does raise the question, can he fairly rule moving forward on any matter of election uh, of the January 6th insurrection or on the, the notion of electoral fraud? And I suggest to you that his, his legacy is tainted by that vote, and I do not trust him. I do not think he can rule fairly. Okay. And frankly, you should be able to get a decent vote out of the remaining eight justices because the uh, Coney Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch have shown themselves able to flex on occasion when the law is clear. Um, and, and this is a case where I just don't see Thomas having the clear eye judgment because his wife is in the middle of it. I think there's one thing I could argue with you, and I, I um, wanted to look it up, and I'm not finding it. It seems like it should be easy to find. I wanted to quickly look up how often Clarence Thomas has been the lone dissent on a decision, and I felt like that should be pretty easy to find. I did a quick Google search, and the, the only thing I find is that he waited only five months before the first case on which he... Uh, was the lone dissenting voice in an eight to one decision, and I I get the feeling, and man, I I should look this up uh, afterward, that Clarence Thomas has been who he is, you know, for the his entire time on the bench, and one of the things he's known for being is he's been extremely comfortable being in uh, small minorities throughout his entire time on the court. So the fact that it's eight to one doesn't necessarily represent a big change for him um as far mm. as the details you're being far more you're being far more generous than i think is warranted but okay uh i also think i yeah i i, I wouldn't recuse him um i wouldn't ask him to recuse himself here's my uh man i wish i knew the details of that case that you're talking about um and the legal points of it I have read, you know, a number of decisions where I read his opinion. And even when he dissented, he'd have like a concurring dissent. Like his reasoning would be totally different than the other dissenting justices. He loves doing that. Uh, So it's not really surprising. It's not a change in behavior. 
this is why I have that disclaimer about questioning people's motives in our introduction every episode. We don't know. And a lot of times there's arguments, people point to connections between certain individuals. I mean, obviously in this case, Clarence Thomas married to Ginny Thomas, who believes certain things that I, that I don't certainly. Um, and, but those connections always exist. I read, I heard an NPR podcast talking about the, uh, you know, terrible implications of the connections between uh, the West Virginia senator and the coal industry. And wait a minute, what prominent West Virginia person is not going to be connected to the coal industry? Uh, what prominent, what person appointed to the Supreme Court by a Republican president is not going to be closely connected to right-wing activists? You can always make these connections that you can connect any senator to an investment in a a big company connected to his cause because they're all successful people. One of the indications of success is that they've is becoming wealthy. How do you become wealthy? You have, you cheat you <laughs> in any number of ways. And you when game you're the wealthy, system. When you're wealthy, you take advantage of people at twelve dollars an hour when they should be making twenty. No, and again, so the people in the Supreme Court. Finally, I think this has changed with the uh, appointment of Amy Coney Barrett. But other than that, they all went to two law schools, right? Harvard and Yale. And uh, correct. So they all ran in the same circles. They're all connected to each other and to the political establishment. But here's and there's nothing. Uh, nefarious here's, about that. There's, here's there's the nothing problem. avoidable about it. But but here's here's where I think you may miss a little bit of the context. In sociology, which that's my undergrad, still my first love. Uh, context analysis is king. Context analysis is king or queen, depending on your perspective. And very inclusive. Inclusive. Very inclusive. inclusive. I, I try. Um, and here's the thing. You have to know that when you go into sociology, there is no such thing as value-neutral sociology. This goes back to the 1800s, and I'm going to forget whether – I think it was Weber, uh, Max Weber, who, who talked about that, or it was, maybe it was Auguste Comte. My, my, uh, my historical social is failing me at the moment. But the bottom line is you go into every observation reflecting on your biases that you, you have to know that you are bringing certain baggage to your analysis. The problem is even Supreme Court justices are incapable of completely separating their biases from their rulings. Case in point, we have this perception that, and I'll, I'll just touch on it very briefly, Roe v. Wade wrongly decided the Christian church believes this is a crusade worth dying on. And Rightly so in some regards, because we see abortion as murder. However, hypothetically, let's say you dig deep into it and you start to realize that Roe v. Wade constitutionally, that it may have been the wrong case, but the implicit right to privacy upon which Roe v. Wade was decided was in fact constitutional. You go to that court as a stridently anti-abortion Catholic, are you truly going to rule against your implicit bias in that case? I would hope so. But I would think that we have seen enough evidence over the years 
that judges are human, justices are human. They are not always clear-eyed. Gorsuch wrote a uh, Gorsuch wrote a an opinion on. I think it was Gorsuch. I got to go back and double check. I want to be very careful on how I say this. Um, in that truck driver case, the one where the truck driver left his truck and you know abandoned it in the snowstorm. And as I was reading it, it was not case law he was citing in one section. He was writing from an opinion. He was writing his his perspective. Now, again, I go back to elections have consequences. Gorsuch was appointed because Mitch McConnell gamed the system, installed the Merrick Garland vote, and gave it to Gorsuch. Okay, so you got the political gamesmanship, and he's on the court. My point is that to suggest that when a husband's wife is being insulted because her head is shaved, that he will not go up and slap the presenter is the same thing as saying that when Clarence Thomas's wife is in the crosshairs, that he is going to be neutral about his perspective on ruling on a case relating to election law. It's impossible. It's not just slightly impossible. It's impossible. I will it's, say, uh, let me say one thing. Well, which correction. Is, which is, it's, uh, it is slightly impossible. Let me just say, uh, the word I would like to say is, Touche. Uh, that was a, a point well made. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. We are we are so phenomenally over on time. We're not going to even get to our last segment. But I have so much more to say, but I guess I always do. Um, and you too. Um, so we'll have to do it again sometime. Okay. Yeah, we, we really do need to kind of wrap up. I, I had five questions for Andy. You want to hear what they were? I would love it if you, yeah, I, I got a little time if, if, uh, well, let's do this. Okay. Let's take a quick break and then we can add another segment and then we can, we can shelve what we want to shelve. Okay. All right. We'll be back. After this. Okay. Hey folks, welcome back to the Don't Get Mad podcast, where we have uh, just spent hours on fluff topics. So what better way to end a podcast than five quick questions for Andy? And we're going to blitz through them and he gets a chance to give one, two sentences and let's see if he can pull it off. All right, Andy, number one. So where does Ukraine go from here? It's a bombed out shell of a country that will take years to rebuild once it's over, if it ever ends. Let's assume Ukraine wins. What happens next? <laughs> okay. How long do I can I wait before I give my one or two sentences? You can um, punt. Uh, no, no. Uh, so, with the caveat that I might reconsider this when I have more time to think about it, let's assume Ukraine wins. Uh, I think they go neutral. Um, and uh, yeah, they just rebuild. The Russians go home. Oh, you know what? Uh, I answered this in our first podcast. They they kick Putin out of office, and then the Russians go home. Okay, cool. Thank you. Number two, was it appropriate for Lindsey Graham to ask uh, Katanji Brown Jackson what her faith was? 
Was it appropriate for Lindsey Graham to ask Katanji Brown Jackson about her fate? Uh, yes. That's your final answer. Uh, <laughs> it would depend on how he did it and where he. It doesn't. It doesn't uh, endorse anything he then did with that information. But I think that question is fair game, and I reserve the right to change that opinion upon further consideration. This is hard, Steve. Okay. All right. Number three, should cameras be allowed in nomination hearing rooms, or if cameras should be now allowed in, should they be focused solely on the nominee so grandstanding senators have less reason to grandstand? This is a huge idea. Do you come up with this on your own, or do you? This, are people writing about this? Is this idea? Oh no, no, no! This is mine. I, this I, is your idea. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, somebody, I'm not a genius. I'm sure somebody else has this idea. I'll say with some regret because I think that is a great idea. I'll say that you need to have cameras in there because I am reflexively resistant to having things go on as bad as it is having people watching it might be worse to have people not watching okay here's one that will burn your head for the rest of the night number four should christians be trying to make america fit their moral mold or should we be trying to be salt and light in an immoral america yes (laughs) uh i i think both. Uh, look, we believe that what is right is right, and there are appropriate ways that that can be enacted through legislation. Now, I'm a small government guy, so there's certain things that we should not put in law. However, politics is values. Uh, I mean, there was a quote I love from Barack Obama that said, the idea that we check our values at the door when we enter a political discussion is, uh, is ludicrous. And I agree with that, that politics is all about values. And so um, that laws are codifications of our shared values. Now, we have to make secular arguments for them, usually. I mean, because we want to be able to engage a population that doesn't share our faith, or many of whom don't share our faith. Um, However, absolutely, we should fight for our values in the political sphere and be salt and light. Okay. Number five, last and quick. Should congressional districts be drawn up by computer to eliminate gerrymandering? No, (laughs) no. Um, I don't believe, I can't think of a way to do it to everyone's satisfaction that would be any more significantly fair than it currently is. So no, and we can, we could have a whole... We could have a whole segment, certainly, on, on gerrymandering and how to fix it. We all agree gerrymandering is not a great thing. I just think efforts to fix it might only worsen the problems. Interesting stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it from the Oracle of Truth, Andy Ruggiero. That was fun. I appreciate that, Steve. I'll try to do the, the same favor uh, for you next time. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone who thank you for uh, who stuck with us and uh, check out our uh, Facebook page. Uh, we are the um, what are we called again? The Don't Get Mad Podcast. <laughs> I'm sort of thinking about changing it to the Don't Give In to Anger Podcast, which is mm, kind of more I like sp- that. It's more specifically what we're talking about, um, but it's less catchy. It's longer. 
and how about the Tim Hortons is nowhere near as good Dunkin' Donuts podcast? <laughs> I don't even know who Tim Hortons is. Do I need? It's to? the coffee. It's the coffee chain in Canada that I think bought Dunkin' Donuts. If you wow. go to Canada, all you will find is Tim Hortons. You will not find any Dunkin' Donuts. But now, what you will find is Tim Hortons making its way into the U.S. And I can tell you, from all the Dunkin' Donuts drinkers in my family, Tim Hortons is a weak imitation. Oh no, those dirty Canadians! Take it. There over. is something I don't like about them. I love their programming. I love Heartland, <laughs> but I don't like Tim Hortons. I don't drink coffee. Why do I even say that? I don't even know. I would think in the frozen wastelands of Canada, you would need good, strong coffee, wouldn't you? Well, you would think. Hey guys, okay. it's been a great time, and I think it's time for us to say good night. So, good night, Andy. Good night, Steve. Good night, all. Peace out. Thank you.